Get your Bibles and open uh, back up to uh, Romans 11. And let me say, I hope I don't overstate this. I am a master of overstatement. But I hope uh, I can tell you that um, this could be a very important um, few minutes spent together around God's Word. I, I, um, I hope you'll find it so. There's a couple of things I want to say at the end, at the beginning that I hope will bring great peace and comfort to uh, one, two, three, four, maybe others. But um, we have been looking at a paragraph. Um, the paragraph, the paragraph really starts in, well, and we'll say 17 and goes through 22 is what we're going to cover. But what I have sought to do is, is deal with this text three times. The first time through this paragraph, I sought to deal with it just to try and tell you what it says, what it means. Then I came back last week, and some of you may recall, I tried to point out some lessons that are, that are contained in it. For instance, we talked about pride. We talked about um, uh, the, the warning to fear because the, that the history of the church is littered with branches that God has broken off. And I gave you example after example about churches that once were but now are not. And that the same thing that God does with churches, He does with individuals, He does with, um, uh, he, he, he does with whole denominations. But anyway, He does with the whole nations. But that's what we did the second time through. But each week, as I read it through, I said something like this. I said, uh, now, if you, are, um, if you are awake and your little theological minds are beginning to engage, you may notice a problem in this text. And I want to save it till the third week, which is tonight. Now, I want to read the text to you again, and I want to see if you can find and spot the potential problem for God's people that is, uh, that is in this. And I'm going to ask you, so try to figure out what the problem is, and maybe somebody can get, you know, a gold star tonight. Uh, but uh, here we go, beginning in verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among, uh, among the others, and now share in the nourishment, nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So we do not become proud, but stand in awe. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then... The kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Now, guys, did you see it? What is the, the potential theological doctrinal issue that arises in that paragraph? What is it? That's exactly what it is. Janet, thank you. I don't know what, I didn't hear with the back, but Janet said, <clears throat> she used language that I absolutely abominate, but um, <laughs> the, uh, it's the, the language, she said, once saved, always saved. And I never use that language because when I say once saved, always saved, what does that communicate? What, is it, what, what, what image comes to your mind? That, that's right. You're really good, John. <laughs> that is, once I, once I come forward and I get baptized, it doesn't make any difference how I live after that, because once they've always said. So I never use that language, although I believe it. The language that I use, this is my personal preference, I use the language of eternal security. That you are everlastingly, eternally secure. 
But I don't use that language because I think it opens this up to misunderstanding. That's, that's the only, but the, what she said is true. Okay? But it seems in this text <clears throat> that there seems to be something else being suggested, particularly in verse 22. Now, guys, I'm hoping that tonight will be profitable at many levels. Um, a theological level, a practical level, a, a, a comfort level. Um, and I, and I wrestled with how should I, how should I teach this? Because by the way, I don't know whether you saw it. Janet saw it, but Janet wasn't the only one. There were several people who came up to me after the first week and said, wait a minute, what's that text got to say? It looks like it. And I said, you got to come back three weeks and I mean, two weeks and the, and then last week, uh, somebody else came to me and said, what are you teaching? Well, you're on, right? I said, wait a minute, you got to wait until next week. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it next week. Because I wanted to devote the whole evening to this issue because there, it does, there is language in here that is pretty scary. Um, can, can I read it to you again? It's verse 22 particularly, but it's elsewhere. Uh, uh, otherwise, you too will be cut off. <laughs> That's enough said right there. Okay, guys, so the, uh, the other level that I hope that this, this will be profitable on is just, just a level of how do I study my Bible? I hope I hope that will help. I hope it will help there, too. So the first thing that... Oh, I, I, I was trying to figure out how to teach this thing, and I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just spend the night teaching the doctrine of eternal security. And I can do that. But that really wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be fair because it wouldn't address the text. You know, I can teach that uh, right out of the Westminster Confession if you want, but it, it still doesn't address the, the, the complexities that seem to spring out of the text. So what I want to do is deal with the text. And, it, and by so doing, deal with the doctrine of eternal security. Okay? So we're going to deal with, we're, we're going to get to this, unsaved, always saved, uh, eternal security. But we're going to do it through the text. Alright? Now, so to study the text, there's a couple of things that we're going to go over tonight that are, that are introductory. Um, first of all, let me say this, that when you're talking about people who are discussing whether you can lose your salvation or not lose your salvation, it's called an intramural debate. An intram- intramural means it's among brothers, you know? Uh, all I'm saying is, uh, the first assumption that we all have to make here tonight is this, that the Bible does not contain contradictions. All right? Now, when you're discussing this issue, that's not a problem. I mean, now, if you're discussing it with, uh, you know, Brian Williams at NBC, it's, you know, he's going to, what do you mean? I think it's contradiction. But we were, this, is a, this is an issue that's discussed in-house. And in that house, we all agree with this, number one. There's no contradictions in here. Okay? That's first. Number two. Guys, um, when you study your Bibles and you, and you say, I'm somebody that believes in eternal security. And then you come to Romans 11. Or you come to something that is so naughty for so many, Hebrews 6. Uh, you come to these passages, you say, now wait a minute, I believe this, but this seems to, what do I do? I, I do this in my systematics class, but this is something that you have got to keep in mind when you're studying your Bibles. Okay? And then later on, we're going to come to two more of these. These are called principles of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. I think that's right. Um, hermeneutics is the, is the, the practice or the science of interpretation. Okay? 
There are rules that you must observe when you interpret your Bibles. All right? Now, let me, let me show you one. I've already really I've said it. that we, we believe, first of all, there's no contradictions. But here's what you got to do. Let's say that you've got this body of information concerning eternal security. You've got all these verses that you hold so dear in John 10 and everywhere else and all these places. And you, you're just convinced that the Bible teaches um, eternal security. But then you come to Romans 11 or you come to Hebrews 6. Let's just say Romans 11 for tonight. You come to Romans 11 and you see something in in there and you think, wait a minute. That doesn't seem to coincide with what I find in all this other information that I have studied in the Bible. Now guys, here's what you got to do. You either have to find a way to fit this into this larger body of information. Or... This body of information is wrong and you must reject it and build your position around this one. Because we just said, we don't believe there's contradictions in this book. So you can't live with this. You can't live with that. So the option that is in front of you is, I gotta find a way that this fits in here, or I gotta find a way that this fits in there. Because I can't live with and, and, you know, I think for so long you think, well, you know, I just don't understand the Bible and, you know, it's just so hard to, and I just, don't, I'll just ask Dr. Young. No, guys. When you're studying your Bible, um, you either got to figure out how this can ultimately fit in here because you cannot walk away from your Bible saying, well, you know, that just, there's just some things I don't understand and they contradict each other. No, they don't. Because if they do, then you got bigger problems. Much bigger problems. Okay? So that's a, that's a rule of hermeneutics. We're going to get to two more in a minute, but let's, let's go back. We come tonight to the problem that is raised by these verses. And the problem is, can we fall out of, from grace? That's the problem. Now, um, to address that problem, there's a couple of questions that I want to pose for you. First of all, what is it that got me into this family? And the second is, what is it that keeps me in this family, this Christian family? If I can answer those two questions, then I can answer all the things that that Romans 11 throws my way. What got me in and what keeps me in. Okay, let's start, guys, with the facts. Um, First of all, we, we, we might have to move rather hurriedly because this is a lot of information. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 8, and, and we got to look at some things tonight, but let's start with Matthew chapter 8, um, and there is a parallel passage to what I'm going to read you in Luke chapter 13, but I'm just going to read you one. So this is in Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. Okay? Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, ladies and gentlemen, do you know what you have in those two verses? You have Jesus himself predicting the very thing that Paul is discussing in Romans chapter 11. Uh, Jesus says, who are these people from the east and the west and the north? And the, where are all these people? Who are they? 
Those would be Gentiles. And he says, there's going to come a day, he says, I tell you, that many are going to come and they're going to recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Or they're going to be right there with the big boys. And then he goes on to say, while the sons of the kingdom, Israel, Israel's going to be thrown out and they're going to be cast into outer darkness and there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus predicts there what Paul is teaching you here in Romans chapter 11. Jesus prophesied the very thing that Paul said happened to the Jews. Now, Jesus predicted it. Now flip over with me rather hurriedly to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Just trying to set down a a foundation of some facts. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because here you find Paul saying essentially the same thing he said in Romans 11. It's in verse 6. He says, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Now, what is he referring to? Well, he's talking about these people who came out of Egypt with Moses, but all died in the wilderness. Remember that? These things, these things that happened to Israel, that they never crossed the promised land, you know, they never crossed the Jordan. These things that happened to Israel were were done as examples for us. That is, some of those who were natural sons of the kingdom, Jews by descent, Jews by by birth, were not going to make it. They were not going to arrive at the promised land. There's all kinds of places where that kind of statement is made. For instance, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The author of the Hebrews says, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear. Why? Lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them... But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith for those who listened. Do you know what you have in Hebrews 4, 1 and 2? The same thing that he's saying in Romans chapter 11. With the same emphasis on faith and fear. Um, Then, of course, um, I guess at least for me, the coup de grace is a statement, a simple statement Jesus makes in Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, verse 13, he says... You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, gang, that's a simple propositional statement. It's a declarative sentence. The one who endures to the end will be saved. It doesn't take a theological education to understand it. It doesn't take really, I mean, you could be a graduate of Ole Miss and you could still understand this. Um, <laughs> I mean, Scott can understand it. He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So, what does that say? That says, also, by way of implication, if you don't endure to the end, you'd be lost. You won't be saved. Because, ladies and gentlemen, again, what you have here is this 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 scene being depicted that there are those who are a part of the, the 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 kingdom family that don't make it. Why don't they make it? Because they fell from grace. That's what some people will tell you, ladies and gentlemen. 
that they uh, they were they were doing fine, but then they fell from grace and thus lost their salvation. I'm saying to you simply as introductorily that Jesus predicted it, Paul teaches it elsewhere, the book of Hebrews mentions it, and the emphases are always the same. Faith and fear. That is, you must maintain a posture of faith. Let me tell you something. You all believe this Jesus stuff tonight, do you? Well, so do I. But if you turn on it tomorrow and you decide, well, you know, my Aunt um, Matilda... Uh, she served Jesus all her life and then she got into drugs and, you know, I just don't believe that anymore. Well, if you stop believing tomorrow what you said believe, you believe tonight, then tomorrow is just evidence that you really didn't believe it tonight. The people who will be saved are those who endure and persevere to the end. Now, that's what we got to figure out. Who are those folks? Now, um, guys, go back to Romans 11 with me. I don't want to avoid the naughtiness of the text, but I want to show you in, um, in Romans chapter 11. But let me go back and give you some more principles of hermeneutics. All right, here's number one. But number two, no proof texting. Do you know what proof texting is? I'm going to use a silly little story that 99% of you have heard, but it is a perfect illustration. I'm about to teach you principles from the Bible. Are you ready? Here it comes. And Jesus went out and hanged, no, and Judas went out and hanged himself. Go and do ye likewise, and whatever you do, do it quickly. Surely you've heard of that before. You not heard of that? I just gave you three verses out of the scriptures. I told you Judas went out and killed himself, and that's true. I, I, I quoted another verse of scripture, whatever you do, go and do likewise. And whatever you do, do it quickly. Do you know what that is, ladies and gentlemen? That is a, that is, that is a rape of the scriptures is what it is. B- but it's proof texting. It's, well, I got me a verse. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Rational, reasonable handling of that book does not permit proof texting. Okay? Alright, the third principle is this. The clear always explains the unclear. Alright? That, that's a, if, if I've got a, a, a text that's somewhat unclear, then what I, what I have to do is go to the, the ones that are clearly stated and use it to help me understand those which are not so clearly stated. Okay? Those are, those are called rules of, um, um, hermeneutics. Now guys, I want to read you three verses. Remember, I started by saying what got me into this family and what keeps me in this family. I want to read you three verses out of Romans chapter 11. I'm going to read verse 2, verse 5, and verse 7. And I'm going to link them. Okay? Here we go. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. What then? 
Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking, the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Now, guys, um, first of all, the, the, the apostasy that Israel, of which Paul is describing here, the apostasy of Israel, was not a total apostasy. He mentions Elijah back here, and himself, of course, is an evidence that not all of Israel has deserted or has rejected the gospel. The apostasy has not been total. But ladies and gentlemen, here we, here we go. You can, you can take it or you can dump it, but here is what's going to make some sense out of this, I hope for you. The only way that you can understand the history of Judea or the history of Israel um, and this the, the the whole way of salvation for anybody, including Gentiles, is to see that this history and this way of salvation is marked off by verse five, the, the remnant is chosen by grace. He says essentially the same thing in verse 2. God has not rejected people whom He foreknew. The way to explain the way you got in is that there is a, there is a, a people foreknown. There is a remnant chosen by grace. There is an elect that obtained it. That's how you got in. That's how they got in. And that's how all of us stay in. Because of a chosen by grace. Now, guys, just you just start to say where you are. I want to read you this. You know this, this passage. I'm going to begin reading in Romans 8, verse 28, where he says, And we know that those for, uh, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reason I read that to you, ladies and gentlemen, is I I, want to ask you this. Could it be any clearer? Nothing. the, The rule is, the clear explains the unclear. Nothing, nothing will separate us from the love. Let me, let me read you just a couple of more uh, statements that Jesus makes in John chapter 10. These are very familiar. Um, verse 28 and 29, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. How could it be any clearer than that? Now, guys, what I am saying to you is, how did they get in? How did believing Israel and believing Gentiles, how did you and I get in? Because of an election of grace. Because God chose before the foundations of the earth to set his love on you. He foreknew you. Now, let me add this. If our ultimate arrival in glory depended upon our efforts and our faithfulness, none of us would make it. If our ultimate arrival in glory 
hinged upon our faithful efforts, none of us would make it. Come on, y'all. Look at your own heart. You know how true that is. Left to myself. I'm a goner. And not only that, if my ultimate arrival depended upon my efforts, then when I stood before God, I would have something of which I might boast. Wouldn't I? And then if I did have something to boast in, then Satan wins. Because the whole gospel of pure Sovereign grace is undercut and replaced by something that says, because of my efforts, I am where I am. The way to explain the history of Israel is exactly what Paul has been doing in Romans chapter 11. He talks about a remnant chosen by grace. He had said earlier in chapter 9, not all of Israel is Israel. That's Romans 9, 6. For not all who were descended from Israel belong to Israel. Oh yes, they have Jewish blood flowing through their veins, but they don't belong to Israel. They don't belong to the people of God. And the reason that you're in and you stay in is because you belong to a remnant chosen by grace. Keep reading. Verse 11, verse 7. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Guys, the plan and purpose of God in Christ towards His people cannot fail. Would God send His Son on a mission that has the potential to fail. True Israel will never be lost. The branches that are mentioned in chapter 11 that were broken off were a part of national Israel, but they weren't a part of true Israel. Not all of Israel is Israel. So what was visible, they came out of Egypt with Moses, but they didn't make it because they were branches broken off. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that was done for our example. Because he is trying to engender a holy reverence among us that we might be very careful Very careful over our souls. Very careful over our souls, ladies and gentlemen. These verses in chapter 11 that tend to confuse are verses that are addressed to the visible church, national Israel, They are verses that in a way, in fact, in a very real way, um, God is issuing these warnings and by so doing, He is actually assuring the safety and the security and the perseverance of His people. That is, by, by warning us, 
you know, you're a part of the visible thing. Yes, you are. You're a part of the visible because I can see you. But the only way to know that you're a part of the real thing is if you persevere to the end. And so people who know that, they are very cautious about their souls. They take care of their souls. They wouldn't dream of neglecting their souls. Um, I'm telling you that what you're reading in Romans chapter 11 is a part of the machinery that God uses to secure the safety of his people. It's a part of the way that he creates in us an eagerness to walk in holiness. I want you to see one other verse, then I'm going to say a couple of things and I'll be done. But if you can find this real quick, it's in Jeremiah chapter 32. I want you to see this one. Jeremiah 32, it's in the Old Testament. (laughs) It's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or Lamentations, Ezekiel. All right, uh, Jeremiah chapter 32. Read this, guys. This This is glorious. Chapter 32, verse 40. God is speaking and he says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. The very thing, ladies and gentlemen, that Paul is encouraging you to do in Romans chapter 11, verse 21, I think, when he says, fear, that is the thing that God puts in you to make you very cautious over your soul that you would not toy with it and that you would not toy with sin in in, in relationship to your soul now guys i want to say this because i want to get this in i don't know that there's anybody in this room that has ever struggled like this but i i i i bet there is um because we see a lot of it, not a lot, we, we see a fair amount of it in just dealing with God's people and things that come up at lunches, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, let, me, let me put it in these terms and then I'll try to broaden it. The, uh, the question that comes up is, or the, the issue is, I'm afraid that I've committed the unpardonable sin. I'm afraid that I have blasphemed the Holy Ghost. I'm afraid there is this loss of assurance and there is this terror on the inside of our souls thinking that we have done the thing that will mean that we're a broken off branch. Have I committed the unpardonable sin? Now listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. The only people who are asking that question are the people who haven't committed the unpardonable sin. The only people who care 
that they would express that kind of fear and that it would go that far are people who are described by Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 40, that says God put something in you that you take very seriously all of His mandates for us. Folks, the only people who question their salvation are Christians. Because we're the only ones to whom it matters. If you're asking whether you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, the answer is no, you haven't. Because it's so important to you not to have. But that's the result of a work that God did when He placed this fear in you. Leading you to the place where you are very cautious over your soul. And the end result of that caution over one's soul is that you persevere to the end. Which means you're a part of the remnant chosen by grace. I hope that helps. Father, I I do thank you for your word and I thank you for the great promises contained in it. I thank you for the comforts that are ours because of the explicit descriptions and and commitments made to us as your people. Father, we didn't get into this thing because we were good or better. There is nothing, nothing about us that drew your love to us. But for whatever your reasons are, you have seen fit to choose before the foundations of the earth to place people like us into your kingdom and have made an everlasting commitment to us that you would see to it that you would see to it that we were preserved by the powerful keeping grace the indwelling Holy Spirit. Father, we're in because of sovereign grace. And we'll stay in because of sovereign grace also. Now, Father, set your people free. Liberate them from the, from the wearisome, periodic, terror-creating exercise of examining our souls to see if they're all good because they're not good. And our safety is in this glorious Savior that you provided and made to be righteousness that becomes ours through faith. Now, Lord, dismiss us with a sense of the joy of our salvation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.